1: to Conda Mason's Brown Rice Hour, a podcast that quilts together a fabric of connection between land, race, money, culture, and spirit. Discover a connection that engages with the most
0: inspiring and cutting-edge thought leaders today, pointing toward our collective healing and liberation. If you are interested in supporting the Brown Rice Hour, please
1: visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Conda.
2: All right. We are live and direct. And um, good day, everyone. My name is Conda Mason, and I am here as the host of the Brown Rice Hour, where we have conversations at the intersection of land, race, money, culture and spirit. And that's a wide range I get to cover. And it is very dear to my heart, each and every one of those Topics um, that we discuss here on this on this podcast, and um, I hope you've been with us for a couple of times. We've been broadcasting now. This is, I think, um, it's been out there for uh, just a f- couple of months now. And um, I want to welcome you today. I am so thrilled to have with us in studio my dear, dear, beloved friend, sister, friend colleague um miss jessica norwood how you doing
1: yes good morning good morning conda thank you i'm i'm happy to be on brown rice hour i was hoping i would get the invitation so oh, thank girl, you girl please
2: oh <laughs> girl please you were the first name i had <laughs> i
1: know i know i'm teasing but i've been been really excited about um what you're doing with the podcast and really looking forward to the time we get to do this together. So thank you.
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we always begin by opening up a little sacred space and um I like to um to do that if that's all right with you. Perfect. Yeah. Good. So in doing so, I just like to begin with um just honoring our ancestors, you know. There's um there's so much richness in the air right now around ancestors. You can hear them whispering. I hear them whispering in my ear um, all the time and it feels like they are really lifting themselves up and making themselves visible in ways to help us navigate these troubling times. And so, you know, I just want to honor, begin by honoring those who made it possible for us to be here. I, I always think like, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it. But I'm glad that they did, that they had the resiliency and the love and the heart and and just the life in them to, to keep going, to keep on going, and to allow us to be here right now. So I want to give thanks and praises to our ancestors. And then I want to honor the work that we are all doing right now that we've been called to do, honoring the work that you're doing, Jessica, the work that so many of us who are listening to this podcast are doing to create a world that is actually, lives up to the statements that we make about, particularly about this country. May we live into those declarations one day and thank you for the work of making this world a better place And I also want to honor those who are coming after us and the work that they will be doing. May we, may we do the work that allows them to call us good ancestors and may we light the way knowing that they have so much to do and that they are up for the job and may we Give them our strength and our protection as they move forward. Ashe. ashe ashe Yeah, so um, Miss Jessica.
1: Yeah. Miss Jessica
2: Norwood is our guest today. And um, many of you know Jessica out there, and some of you who don't, you will, and you'll be happy that... Um, as she's here with us, I am going to start by reading a bio, and you'll get a sense of you'll get a sense of the bio, and then when we get into conversation, you'll get a sense of the person who is just underneath that bio, who who animates that bio. And um, so, Jessica is a financial disruptor and social entrepreneur. She is the founder of Runway. And Runway uses entrepreneurship as a strategy to close the wealth gap in black communities by providing pre-seed friends and family capital, or what Jessica calls believe-in-you money, to fund black-owned companies. Jessica is a financial activist and social entrepreneur who was awarded the Nathan Cummings Foundation Fellowship for Economic Disruption, She is a Center for Economic Democracy Fellow and an Inaugural Fellow in the RSF Social Finance Integrated Capital Fellowship. Jessica speaks internationally at the intersection of Black culture and investing, power building through community investing, and African-American wealth creation. She's featured in Essence Magazine, NPR, Next City and Fast Company. She's a lifelong fellow of the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University and Southern University College of Business, as well as the Political Power Fellow of the Hip-Hop Archive at the Hutchison Institute of Harvard University. And New York Times bestselling author Edgar Villanova of Decolonizing Wealth, which is a great book I hope folks have read. He calls Jessica's work the medicine that modern philanthropy and investment need. Jessica, she splits her time between Alabama and California. Welcome to the Brown Rice Hour, Jessica Norwood.
1: Mm, Thank you. Where are you calling in from? I am in Alabama right now. So, yeah, when coronavirus did its thing, Mm -hmm. I was... Uh, just finishing up uh, really hosting a fantastic group of people uh, in my hometown of Mobile, Alabama. And uh, thought I was going to get myself back to California, but uh, fortunately I was able to be here on this land with my family. And I think there's one particular way where um, inside of um, the, the sheltering and, and, um, low visibility and low contact, physical contact that we've had to have inside of coronavirus. Um, it's been nice to be in places and spaces that I've been familiar with. Um, you know, my old haunts, uh, knowing where my produce person is knowing where this is and, and it's helped me to make decisions to, um, you know, to help myself be safer and for other people to be safe when you kind of know the lay of the land and what to do. So I am in, I am in Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Mobile, Alabama, the home where, you know, um, my father's father's father and lots of other folks have been in this land for some time. So, For some time. Do you know
2: what the indigenous uh, folks
1: who originally inhabited that land there. yeah um this is well um what the name would be before this but this is Cherokee uh and Choctaw area lands mm-hmm. and um what they're how they might pronounce it and say it indigenously I don't know um mm-hmm. th- the language names but yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful land. Beautiful people, uh, and you know, just it's Alabama. So there's a lot of history and a lot of um, uh, a lot of um, what I think of um, as Brian Stevenson. At Equal Justice Initiative says, you know, about being proximate. There's a lot of importance about being proximate to a thing and a place. You can talk about it, but it certainly is different when you're like in it. And when you're there. in it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Not talking yeah. from someplace else. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, your work is so national and international. And the fact that you are from Mobile, Alabama is something that I love about your history. Because mm. it, it speaks to so much. It speaks to, to what you have witnessed, not just heard about, read about, but yeah. what you and your family have witnessed. And um, I will get into that at some point.
0: <laughs>
2: okay. I'll talk okay. And, yeah. And so I am um, also in the South right now, calling in from Alexandria, Louisiana, where I'm working on project. And it also understanding, is some Choctaw uh,
0: mm-hmm. territory.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. So they were in the southern part of the United States. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, you know, we always start, I always start with an offbeat question. Seems offbeat, but it really isn't because it tells a lot. You know, we're going to get into you. And a part of getting into you um, is a question that I ask everyone. And, you know, I'm a foodie. I love food. I believe in food, you know, Mm -hmm. and I know that it is um, even the brown rice hour. I call it the brown rice hour because um, actually brown rice was a pivotal change in my life when things changed. when I did Mm -hmm. this macrobiotic thing and everything shifted.
0: Mm -hmm. And
2: um, and I happen to just really love brown rice still. Mm -hmm. But um, the question that I ask often gets to it just reveals a lot in in people even though it's kind of a seems to uh, off question so here's the question hmm. so what was your comfort food as a child jessica
1: and hmm. who prepared it oh wow my comfort food as a child and who prepared it yeah oh hmm I don't really know. That's such a good question. Um, I liked food. I mean, so like all the foods could be my comfort food. Um, but you know, I, I, my memory without being able to really call a particular food, I mean, um, I always loved food that my grandmother or my mother made uh, in general. It didn't really matter. I mean, you know, I wasn't I wasn't particularly fond of peas, but um but <laughs> the little green <laughs> peas. Yeah the little I green peas over to the table I mean, was like always trying to scoot them around the edge of the plate and everything. You yeah, know, yeah, I wasn't yeah, very yeah. fond of those, but yeah. um but I liked their food. I always felt like my mother would like make a sandwich or a glass of water or my grandmother and everything that they had always looked better than everything I had. It always tasted better. And so I just wanted to eat whatever was on her plate. Um, you know, it wasn't, you, you didn't have to prepare me the plate, but her plate always looked perfect and way yummier than whatever I had. And so, um, yeah, whatever my mother had, I always wanted it. Um, and because she always made everything just look so incredibly beautiful. I mean, mm. she was seriously into um, presentation as well, you know, mm. so food looked cute. Uh, and, um, you know, she wasn't skipping on ingredients. I mean, you know, my mother... My mother, as a young person, my mother always had like a bottle of champagne and a little jar of caviar all the time, right? Like she, you know, she had her, yeah, she mm
0: -hmm, in
1: Mobile, Alabama, right? Well, she was in Chicago. She fell in love with a man from Mobile. So like, don't, she was like, don't put that on me. (laughs) She was big city, you know, she fell in love with a little country man, but she was (laughs) not trying to be, you know, all in the country like that. Um, But no, she she always had her little decadence and her little, you know, I think the sort of aspirational, you know, life food, what she would have, you know, around like this experience she wanted to have. Um, And it was small and it was little things like that that she would do to kind of create the ambiance or the experience Mm -hmm. that she was really trying to call in. And so what I Mm -hmm. most remember about Mm -hmm. the food and who prepared it was like that level of intentionality of storytelling and being aspirational Mm -hmm. uh, and a little decadent in it. And, (laughs) and that, that was okay. That was in fact that was like a must to, you know, for self care, you know what right, I'm saying? Right, like it was, right. it was a part of her ritual for care um, to have those kinds of things. So I always loved that kind of stuff from her. I love
2: it. I yeah. love it. Big yeah. ups to your mom. Yeah. Yes. The caviar and champagne. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: This is lovely. And so, um, so let's get into the heart of, of all of this and, and your work. Um, so you you say you are a financial activist and a financial disruptor. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, to disrupt something and be an activist. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like isn't everything fine? Like wall street is doing okay. Right. I mean, like what you complaining about girl.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> what you, right. I what, know what you, what you, you disrupted. I know, I know it's doing exactly what it's intended to do. You <laughs> know? Um. So in that regard, yeah, everything is cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know, we, we, um, but at the same time, we are um, experiencing so much violence and trauma and pain and, there are um, basic things around, you know, aging and how we care for our children and all of these things that we, as, as successful as we are imagining our financial system to be, we don't have answers for what happens when you're sick or when you get older, or how do you care for your children, you know, and their safety. And we, you, we don't really have Those answers. Um, So to me, it it really is an indicator that for all of the greatness that we're imagining our financial sector is really doing, it's not solving the most pressing issues of our of our time. And that, I think, is where the disruption needs to happen, because we're we're needing a, a thing that is not being satisfied in this moment. And so um, I like to, I'm a, you know, a systems thinker. I like to like really go through and think about how everything works. And the way I think about systems is, you know, I was a kid, Before there was Google Maps or even, you know, MapQuest and you just had the map that you bought at the gas station, you know, you know what I mean? Like you had to kind (laughs) of lay it out that way. But I was always just really good with directions like you could take me somewhere one time and I could say, no, Mm -hmm. go back this way. Because I was constantly mapping Mm -hmm. things in my head, um, relationship to things and processes and places and touch points. And so that um, continues on, and I looked at the financial system, and I thought, where inside of that flow, that mapping of you know mm-hmm. of of places and possibilities, mm-hmm. um, could be ripe to intersect to get us onto a different pathway um, where we could solve those things that we really are after; those things that um, express our highest creativity um, to open up the. Um, the the levels of humanity and compassion that we know we're looking for where you know we have this isolation and this deep loneliness and all of these things that we're trying to solve for and yet the way that the money is moving isn't isn't routed that way and so where I'm disrupting is kind of looking at it and saying can I throw a pebble right here and then it'll you know it'll go around or it'll redirect and that's what I'm looking for not to, I can't overhaul all of the things, but where is that disruptive point or that tipping point, that particular place where, um, if a shift is made or a pebble is thrown in, um, a new possibility, a new direction becomes available.
2: That's great. I think that, um, what is it? The trim tab. Are you familiar with that concept of the trim tab? Mm -hmm. It's like that little piece that, Moves the boat that really is that little move and that yeah. changes the entire direction.
1: That's it, yeah, yeah,
2: and that's the work that you're doing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you are a Nathan's coming fellow in financial disruption. I mean, I didn't even know there was such a thing, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, what's that? What's that? What's that about?
1: Oh, uh, well, yeah, um, sounds kind of you know just like what it is. It's um, you know, a fellowship that I um won. They, um, only bring in three fellows uh, every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And um, they give a stipend, a cash stipend, to really look at and support the idea that you're talking about. And so I came in um, uh, with this question, and this is where that pebble in the water sort of speak, picks back up um, this little disruptive um, question where I ask, what would it look like if we could really be friends and family to one another? Um, And I use the term friends and family because it's a financial term that Mm -hmm. talks about this early kind of money that you should be getting when you're starting up your business and everybody tells you, oh, it's a great idea. You should borrow money from your friends and your family. And if you happen to be black and, and even some poor white folks, but certainly black people because of this, Um, this wealth gap thing that we call it, um, you realize that your network and your relationships don't have that same kind of wealth to borrow money from your friends and from your family. So your good idea doesn't ever leave the paper. It doesn't get the traction, doesn't get going. And then um, you're left kind of cobbling together resources and putting in little bits of money. And by then the market may have shifted or other things have happened. And, you know, you're still at this perpetual startup space. Um, And so, I wanted to talk about if our relationships were different, if we moved really with the consciousness around being friends and family in the design of putting out the money, not just a term of, you know, that we use, but in the way that we designed it, in the way that we delivered it, in the way um, that we expected relationship between one another. If we really embodied a practice of being friends and family, what would be possible along the rest of the capital continuum for other folks. So the money number that we're, we, we end up putting out in runway is um, meaningful in the regard that it brings up a question and an experience that is at the starting point of people's financial journey. So it creates now a shift in pattern and behavior and expectation. And this is how you get cultural change where the attitude, behavior and beliefs are shifted. So I was really intentional about, even though understanding that forever in a day, Black businesses always needed capital. That wasn't the question of, you know, we always knew that. We always actually knew that there was... that there was this wealth gap. I mean, that's the reason why Black banks existed because people knew that there was this, you know, that they were not, Black people were not in the economic system in the same way. So none of these pieces were new, was new information, but what was disruptive was calling in a practice and a ritual and a way of being at the very beginning of the capital continuum um, that would then re- require other people to have to move differently along the rest of the way. Uh, And so, um, that's the part that I talked about at Nathan Cummings. And I I think they thought it was a tantalizing proposition for, for me to try out. And, um, and then runway gets birthed out of that, um, fellowship.
2: That's amazing. And so all of this is coming back to, I I love the way you started about maps because, um, I, I, I love maps too and I am a mapy I'm I'm that person that you know I've been there once I know how to get there. Mm-hmm. Um and I never connected it with systems and that so you just gave me something that's really interesting to think about because mm-hmm. I think systems as well but I never noticed that that was the link there. Yeah. And so your systems work has gotten you to looking mapping what's where the gaps are what's what's missing and you know, people talk about the wealth gap. Can you just get a little bit more into the racial wealth gap? Like, I don't I don't know, in, like someone who doesn't know.
1: Yeah. Do I mean, explain? so, you know, there's this there's there's a term racial wealth gap. And it, it sounds like, you know, kind of but, but a little misleading. I mean, it's really talking about um, wealth accumulation um, uh, based on race in this country. And, and so it looks at and at the time when this data point was really um, growing, although I think since COVID, um, it's it certainly this number has certainly changed. But at the time, um, the wealth gap when we started Runway Project was um, eleven thousand dollars for black people and about one hundred and forty two thousand uh, dollars average. For white people. And what that number entails really are four areas of how we think about wealth, how wealth gets built. Um, so, money, equity that you might have in your real estate portfolio, your housing, that's one area that it takes um, consideration. It also looks at education. And even though education is really a debt, it's talking about the investment that you've made in that. And so the more educated you are, chances are you're gonna be you know, making more money. So it looks at education. Mm-hmm. Um, it also looks at income, which is pretty you know, general and specific, the money that you work for, the money that you make. And so your ability to save and revenue coming in, uh, money coming in. But the fourth area it looks at is um, business ownership and the equity that's inside of business and entrepreneurship. And what we understood from the data was that people who owned businesses were wealthier um, than people who did not own businesses Mm -hmm. because they had different networks. They had different credit opportunities. They had uh, different ways to sort of um, uh, make themselves more resilient. When they talked about uh, losses and liabilities, there were just a lot of other things that were moving that helped make the financial picture stronger. Uh, for folks who have businesses, and by and large African Americans have businesses, but they did not have the same wealth inside of their company, so then it gets out into the the nittier, finer point of well, why is it that if wealth is based on these four areas, housing, and we understood a lot of disparities around housing lending, and you know when we took the bubble and all of those things. We understood educational um, access and the the challenges around affirmative action and access to education and the disparities of tax-based systems. So we knew about that. We understood the glass ceilings around income or the ways that women weren't paid at the same rate. So we understood income um, inequalities, but we hadn't really talked a lot about the fact that um, entrepreneurship was a leading way that wealth was being created, but Black businesses were not commanding the same revenue share. They weren't getting the same financing, all of these things. And we hadn't made the same investment that we did in Black communities as we did in, say, income around like workforce development. So there were a lot of people who in these communities said, OK, you know, what we want to do is make sure that you get a great job. And that's important for a lot of people to be able to work but it's also equally important for us to be talking about the pathways to entrepreneurship and for people to be able to build out their visions and their ideas as well. Is not just be a worker for another company or another thing and let's, you know, unless that's where your heart is. Um, but we hadn't given those same options and certainly we had not made the right kinds of investments inside of um, entrepreneurship. So the wealth gap is... Um, looking at those four areas and then the part about race. OK, so this is where it gets really, really stickier and, and more is that the racial wealth gap looks at all those four areas. But then it says um, now go all the way back to the founding of this country understand chattel slavery, understand redlining, understand Jim Crow economics, understand. And so it requires that you go through and really understand each and everything that made that systemically created the conditions upon which that gap exists. So it tells you what areas to look in, and then it tells you all of the horrible, violent things that happened in order to get that level of disparity. And so when you say this number of 11,000 and 140 something thousand, what you're really talking about is the ways that the government um, and and other private actors have moved in concert to discriminate financially and economically against black uh, and brown bodies in this country over and over and over again for economic gain. Uh, And there's a really great, uh, there's a report now, I think McKinsey uh, firm has been doing it, all of the ones that you would be like, whoa, you're talking about this, the Federal Reserve? And they said that we are losing $200 billion, $200 billion a day, a day, a day because of racism economically we are losing it because the idea that you want to stay racist so badly, it's not about the money at that point. You know, Mm -hmm. it's about the practice and the behavior, which then speed forward back to, why we practice being friends and family, because it's not for a lack of money being available. All of the reasons why that racial wealth gap exists wasn't because there was a lack of money flowing. there wasn't it wasn't that. It was because people had a particular idea around what it meant to be harnessing and holding power uh, to be um, to be talking about, um, um, their own agency and autonomy at the, ex, you know, at the, a, at a point where it, it would extract and take from, you know, others and other things. So, and that's the part that we have to write. Uh, and, and folks, it's really difficult inside of finance to do that because people think that money is, um, you know, it, it's benign in that way. It doesn't, doesn't have a relationship to race in these conversations when in fact, it absolutely does and always has. mm. Yeah, yeah. the longest Absolutely. explanation I've ever given about the racial wealth gap. That, that Everybody, you're welcome.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. That was beautiful and, and really clear. And yeah, you know, they i have been, you know, if you follow Danella Meadows' work, some of it, systems thinker, and she says that in order to change a system, the, the, the most effective way is to change the mindset that created the system. That's right. Right. If you change the mindset that created the system, then that's when the system changes. Otherwise, you're looking at, you know, the kinds of superficial changes that are greenwashing or blackwashing or whatever you want to call it. That's right. And so um, changing the mindset
0: Mm -hmm.
2: is the hardest work. That is the the hardest work. Yeah. Right. And so when you when you talk about friends and family. That alone, just those words start to sink in in a way that changes. That's opening up the door to a mindset, mm-hmm. a mindset to a right. mind-heart connection. Because yeah. when I think about my friends and family, like, you know, if you were to um, call your work with some other financial terms that, you know, that are mm-hmm. a, these objective financial terms, no, no, no. What you've done is use these subjective mm-hmm. heartfelt terms, friends and family. And nice. suddenly I'm leaving that, that left, that right brain and going into the left or whatever one it goes to. And I'm dropping down into another place. Yes. And so yeah. it's brilliant to me, even though it is a term already in the vernacular of finance, to use that, friends and family, Mm -hmm. it immediately says it's relational. That's right.
1: It's relational.
2: That's right. right. And that is what needs to happen is relational. We need to become more relational in Mm -hmm. finance in order for us to get out of this stream of exploitation. That's Right. Right. Yeah. In order to get out of that, that is destructive. If we can walk, or even the stream flow down the stream of relationship with each other,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it makes a big difference.
1: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. What, what are you seeing in the field now? What kind you of? Know,
0: yeah.
1: You know, it's one of the things where when um, I talk about runway, and it's a, it's, it's. It's it's been a little bit of a challenge, but I I see us getting where the opening in the field and the spaciousness is really coming forward right now. And I think this is one of the parts where um, being a forerunner, you know, when we first started talking about friends and family, you and I kind of, that's the part of the story that's missing it's kind of was there for all of this (laughs) but um when we first started talking about people weren't saying talking about friends and family as as you know as liberally as, as they are now and talking about that as a place of um you know intersecting and and talking about finance uh for black businesses so um being early on, there is always this part where the language doesn't catch up to the moment in time just yet. Mm. And I was thinking about this as I was prepping for our time about languaging and where um, and, and I'll use this to talk about what I do see shifting right now is, and you talk about this always, about trying to get the right language right for runway. And like, I don't want to say that word and this, this, and that. And I, and I think it's the right exercise to do because we're trying to get people to, uh, you know, imagine a new a new thing and to get into practice around what I call being in right relationship, as you're saying relationship. And I talk about right relationship a lot. Um, and I'll, I'll back up and come back and talk about right relationship in a minute. But um, with this thought, thought about listen, um, um the language, I was thinking about the, one of those big mother drums, you know, like the Ooh. really, really big ones. Ooh. And um And the sound it makes and, you know, the sound bathing that people do or that way where they, you know, might go and lay right near it or underneath the mother drum as as they're beating the drum. And you start to feel and have a conversation and a knowing that's beyond the language. Mm -hmm. And at this moment in time, I think that the language that we have is um, really very poorly it's it's poor. It's not up to the challenge of exactly where we want to go. Um, it's so much baked in a lot of fear and anxiety and um, and so, you know, playing with language, but also in a way where the language calls people in and helps them to identify themselves inside of a thing. So part of this is like what they currently know and then trying to match it with where you want them to go. And sometimes the language just doesn't really serve us. And so, Where I see now is um, a lot more opening to to play with the language and the experience. And I almost imagine it as this great mother drum that I think Runway and Jubilee and all of us get to, you know, and Katali and all of our friends get to play on and be a part of where the invitation is to lay underneath the drum Mm -hmm. and just feel it. Just experience that. Don't give it the words. Don't worry about if you've got the language for it. There's a soul language and a universal language that is that has its own rhythm and its own thing. And we are all very capable of speaking it. We haven't. We've lost a lot of ability in using that language, but there is a way that we can get back to it. And so I think now is the time to lean into, um, very radically different experiences to money and to and the language around how we use it and to get into um, this part around right relationship. And I said I'd make my way back to that point. Um, because you started saying that that this really is about, you know, um needing to change the mindset to get into this new relationship around capital and, and language is one of those ways. And when I say right relationship, I think of it in four areas. Um, the first area is really around um, the intentionality of shifting power. I think that, that when I talk about right relationship, I think walking in already wanting deeply to be in um to be aware of the power movements around money no matter who you are the giver the receiver the intermediaries in between to be aware and present to it um the second part around right relationship that i think about is Um, this difference between agency and autonomy and really promoting agency over autonomy. Autonomy really imagines that you're moving alone and yeah, you you got your freedom to do things, but you're moving with your own motives, your own self. But agency is the act of moving, but it does say I'm moving as an agent, but I'm still in relationship. I'm still into a thing. And I like to make the distinction between the two points nice. because sometimes we imagine that um, you know that the prize is to be you know moving alone but it's how you have yourself inside of a thing with other people and so um, that agency is, is one of the second things I think of. The third thing I really I think a lot about in right relationship is um, moving away from the idea of failing. And being able to pivot into um, um, this the, the idea of learning and and growth as a thing. So right relationship allows for you to not have failed in it because you got chances to come back you know, you got chances to work on it. There's a lot of compassion in that. And it gives, it, mo- it moves from the failure idea and moves us into, okay, well, we're learning, we're dancing, we're playing, we're experimenting, we're growing. So it gives a new language inside of that. And then the fourth thing is that it activates that liberation and that joy. So those paths then take you there. So when I'm telling people, okay, to practice being friends and family, to pr- it means to practice being in right relationship. I'm really talking about being intentional, about um, shifting power dynamics, really moving from a space of agency um, and not not imagining the autonomy, but the agency really more um, and thinking about leaving this concept of failure behind and pivoting into um, the growth ideas and thinking of how we're playing and dancing with one another and then activation of that liberation and joy, so that's where I see the field going. I see new language, and I see really deeply practicing right relationship right now. Ooh,
2: <laughs> that was so delicious. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, what you just did as mm-hmm. I was going to ask. You, that was just beautiful. The question of because you know we we have this intersection here of um, land, race, money, spirit, and culture, and um, the spirit part. You just. Really brought forward the intersection yeah. of spirituality and money. Yes, right yes. relationship. Yes, right. You brought in joy. You brought in compassion. You brought in um, that sense of being interconnected. Yes, and through this friends and family. Yes, um, nomenclature and and what it represents. There's an opportunity. The door opens yeah. to allow the spirit of one's essence. To meet with the spirit of another, Hashé, regardless yeah. of, of what, you know, how much or how little resources one has, mm-hmm. but to connect on that level is what I'm hearing you say. it, yes. it was just um, that, that intersection of spirituality and money is just beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful.
2: You know, I want to look at, um, there's so much that you said that I want to dive into. And, you know, if we had four hours, would you take an hour for each one of those? Right. right. <laughs> 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 i know <laughs> you know i could take a whole hour yeah each on
1: one. each one and kind of teasing each it one. out for sure mm-hmm. and then yeah. another
2: hour to wrap it all up right right
1: right, right. so <laughs> what we said it and it means and we <laughs> right. think right exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> you know we'd be here for a few hours half the day yep yep but okay so we can't do that but i do want to pick up on um the power one um yeah i want to pick up on the power one and mm-hmm. That word is such an important word, and it is, um, you know, it being juxtaposed against love, love and power. Yeah. You know, and I I love to talk about love and power, yeah. and and when is the appropriate time to step forward in 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 leading from power or leading from love and where they come together. But power is such an important dynamic in racial relationships, because we always, so many people, we leave that out. We talk about equity, we talk about um, different types of thing that, that we want to see happen. Um, and we don't use the word power.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And often, some of us do, but many of us fail to do that. And then I think about um, You know, I'm I'm jumping around a little bit, but I think about philanthropy and good people doing good deeds for those who don't have. And what is the power dynamic in that?
0: Hmm.
2: And is that, is that, where is that coming from? Does the power dynamic, does the, does the unequal power dynamic of the person who has saying, okay, I'm going to give to you because you don't have. Right. What does that feed into? And yeah. what's wrong with that picture?
1: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I You know, I was thinking about that as you're um, posing a question about philanthropy and some of the power dynamics. And one way is that it shows up um, is that I don't know that I would do the work that I do the way that I do it if philanthropy um, and the money that people quote unquote give didn't require that like I saw there are ways that I don't get to really live into my agency the way that I would be and do it Um, because there is a prescription around you know what your performance needs to look like and what people are evaluating inside of that and Um, and so that creates a power dynamic instantly in that, in that moment, um, you know, a foundation lays out a goal of, we want to explore X, Y, and Z issues. And it's like, Hey, who told you that's the issue that we want to explore? You know, so we're already kind of, you know, (laughs) we're already in a different video in a different place. And I do believe that where you start, um, dictates how you end. And Mm -hmm. so, um, and so as much as possible being in relationship with people and right relationship with a philanthropy means talking about that dynamic before you get going or anything else, you know, and just saying really clearly, like, here's what I'd like to be doing. And, you know, is there a way that you'd like to support that versus, you know, (laughs) versus trying to, yeah, jumping through a thousand hoops and trying to fit into these other kinds of things. And then I think it's an ongoing conversation, but most of it, um, I think is really rooted in, um, I think there's always just this very deep longing to be connected, um, ultimately. Not to, put a, not to put any blame or shame or any kind of things into it of who's right and who's wrong in it. Um, I think ultimately there is a desire to be connected and not a lot of practice around, um, around you not using their money as a proxy to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because there's so many ways in a world where money buys you relationship and access and privileges and, you know, and all kinds of things and people are nicer to you or different to you or, you know, want to, want to hear what you've got to say. And so there's a power, you know, um, that is attached to that trails alongside of the money Mm -hmm. and as much as the person, so, so being deliberate, about understanding that it's happening i i i think that there are a lot of ways particularly in movement work what i mostly find um that a lot of people in movement spaces don't organize and talk a lot about money because there's a lot of shame and guilt and um and they talk about power analysis of the places but they don't talk about you know power in this regard and i think it is um for all of us to take on trusting ourselves and trusting the container upon which you're building the thing, that that's where the power really lies, not in the money itself, but in the container of us that decides to make agreements to work together and to not let one another go. Even when things get difficult, even, you know, to keep at it, um, and to keep, um, to keep that level of respect and, um, an awareness for one another to constantly be checking in with where are we and how are we doing and does this feel good and right? And and realizing that those dynamics of power are constantly moving and shaping and shifting to not be afraid of power. Um, you know, to notice that you are a powerful being in your own right. You've got your powers and your magics and everybody's got their powers and their magics. And what we do is we come together and we create a container upon Mm -hmm. which those things get to liberally and generously flow on behalf of all of us. So the money isn't the thing. And Mm -hmm. the more obsessive we get about the money, the worse it actually becomes. It actually is about the energy and the exchange between the people. That's generates the money and so when we put the wrong assignment to the power and the access Mm -hmm. and things that happen with the money um then we we lose track of what's really important in the equation because all of that stops flowing once the relationship falls apart so really the most important thing is really the relationship and not the money but everybody has to walk in knowing that power talking that power and believing in that power. Nobody can feel like they can't have that space to say those things. Um, and so we all become, it all becomes important for us to create the container upon which that statement is true.
2: I love that. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I think about this a lot too. And I think about um, what we value, what we mm-hmm. value in this country, mm-hmm. you know, what we, what we value and, 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 You've got going back to you know runway and and the entrepreneurs or or what have you, or you you've got the situation where there's folks who have resources, financial resources mm-hmm. and then there's folks who have brilliant ideas and plans to create something that changes the world that's right. we value as a culture the one with the money, right. And so that becomes the power dynamic. That person becomes the one that the one with the brilliant idea who can change the world has to kind of suck up to the person Mm -hmm. with the money because this Mm -hmm. is what we value as if they're not equal. As if this brilliant idea, this brilliant entrepreneur, this incredible business um, is less important Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have over here the money where the power is. And so that's the dynamic that really gets under my skin. And I really um, won't play into that, right? I I have a hard time playing into that, thinking because you have access to finances for however it came into your world. That's right. However it came into your world, and oftentimes it's not totally, you know, copacetic, but Mm -hmm. be that as it may, however Mm -hmm. it came into your world, you know, that does not I do not value that mm-hmm. more than I value this incredible being who is ready and lit up to make something beautiful happen. Mm-hmm. And until we balance that power mm-hmm. and understand that they are both needed, we come together in right relationship. That's right. We come together in equal relationship mm-hmm. where power is shared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is I think the equation. And
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I know about you that you really value this because I get to experience you <laughs> in runway and interest. I mean, runway, we have this dynamic because the world will have you center um, the investor, the financial person in the equation more than we center the, the entrepreneur um, and there's subtle ways. It's not necessarily like a, um, a particular way. It's sort of the demands of the email flow or information or things like that, that start to play out. Um, and I've always appreciated that you constantly say, no, we're entrepreneur centric. And I look at that as a North Star for what we're doing, because as long as I keep the um, entrepreneur um, in my sights, I have a better shot at balancing that equation a lot more because it skews so heavily towards this investor. And, um, <clears throat> and I do believe in centering the folks who have been made or rendered Um, or to be seen as powerless. It does not mean that they're powerless. But I do believe in, um, again, being proximate to a problem or a situation and naming a thing what it is. How do we solve for something if we just sort of shrug our shoulders and say it's not happening? No, it's happening. And the way that we speak into that is to say we're going to distribute out the right relationship between these things and we're going to give care and attention to our entrepreneurs and we're going to give care and attention to our investors and we're going to give care and attention to ourselves as a team um, who's working on all of this and we're going to do our best to kind of you know, stay in the flow of, you know, making those adjustments and explaining that to each and every group, you know, at all times, you know, why we're slowing down for this thing or speeding up for this reason or, you know, and what those calibrations look like. And, um, I think it makes it makes the practice of everything much more visible and, you know, and 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 realistic because, you know, we're able to really say real time, like, you know, it may look really great on the outside, but there's a lot of work and a lot of care and a lot of compassion, a lot of artistry, I think, in the the alchemy of right relationship and making sure that we're in the flow and tr- navigating these power dynamics real time with folks and um, and creating these spaces for them to step out if they're feeling a little triggered and then step back in, you know, if you're ready right. to go again. So, because <laughs> that happens too, <laughs> when you yeah, have to tell does. people like, no, that's not going to work. You know, we want right. to create space for you to step out and then step back in when you're ready. <laughs>
2: Come back, come back in right
1: relationship. Come back in right relationship. You're a little wrong right yeah, now, friend. You, yeah, <laughs> That's not gonna off, work for us. Not gonna work. It's not gonna work. <laughs> not gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> we say that, so we say that a lot more than people know.
0: Oh God, but
1: but it. um but we also say, you know, we also say yes, and we also um, yeah. applaud and, um, and, and share and do a lot of other really generous and beautiful things. And yeah. sometimes and I think that's that loving warrior energy that, um, Tiffany Brown at Cordata talked about, um, at the mm. beginning, oh, I was, I was laughing so hard my tears started rolling and, um, started talking about where it's that peace between the love and the power that you mentioned, that yeah. loving warrior stance where, mm. I am standing in my power because I love you so much. Um, right. And I'm, yeah. I am keeping this door open in this relationship because I love you so much. And I'm teaching you each and every day how to practice being friends and family because I love you so much, because I believe restoration is possible, because I believe that there's a pathway for all of us. But the way that we get to that is that we change our behaviors. We change our mindset. We change our way of Mm -hmm. being and doing. And then the system we'll start to recalibrate. We don't need more money. We've got trillions and trillions of dollars available right now. Mm -hmm. And people who have signed on who said that they care about these issues that we care about. Um, But the pathway between getting that from that investor and getting that into the hands of these brilliant entrepreneurs cannot be the same bloody violent pathway we've gone before. Mm -hmm. And so we slow it down to do that and to do it well so that we get the outcome we really want. Yeah, hmm.
2: that's the world I um, that mm-hmm. you are, and that Runway is working to create. And what I'm seeing, Jessica. Okay, so full disclosure: Jessica and I work together on the, <laughs> the, the, uh, Runway, and um, you know what I'm seeing um, a shift, or incredible shift, with a, with of, of many people who are who have that that power that we that this that this society gives them because they have resources financial resources who are saying you know yeah. we're going to do it differently we're going to do it as in right relationship and we're surrounded by such beautiful funders and investors and just good-hearted people who have financial resources and mm-hmm. I'm seeing something right now that is just so heartwarming to mm-hmm. see. And I got to give a big shout out to Katahdi and uh, Foundation and what they're doing and, and really leading the way in
1: this mm-hmm.
2: and just.
1: It's a beautiful community. We have been incredible. really fortunate to. Have been in such sweet relationship and space with so many people over the yeah. years, and that we all find ourselves now in yeah. these places and positions. I think it's just divine province, you know, really um, speaks to this um, calling in that we are speaking of um, yeah. right now, for sure. I think the right people are in position for all of what we're saying.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: it's beautiful.
2: You know, you said something a little earlier um, about um, you mentioned creativity and I, in your bio, in the bio, and I know you, but in the bio, you, uh, you mentioned that you engage at the intersection of black culture and investing. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, what's that mean? Black culture and investing. What is that intersection?
1: Yeah, well you know I am the hip hop political power fellow at Harvard, you know. So <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that too. The hip hop oh, archive, hip hop archive, you yeah, know, please. but it but up. it really is talking about um you know, uh black culture, our ways of being and doing and and um making those pathways, those ideas or those behaviors and beliefs um present inside of our financial system. Um, I think that there's a way where Money so white, you know, like and so <laughs> money systems and conversations so white, you know, but they're indigenous ways and there's, you know, and they're black ways and things that we would get and respond to. And that would have a different um, tackiness and, and, and relatability for us, if we could culturally understand and lean into um, this diversity. We, we, you know, we want to say the word diversity, but we don't have a lot of compassion for the work that it takes to be nuanced and to have um, um, divergent things and moving, but that are complementary in relationship. Um, you know, biodiversity and 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 economic difference. like there there are multiple ways that we should be talking about and including money. And it shouldn't be something that is this elitist conversation where only a certain few people have the knowledge or information or whatever. Money is is actually a manifestation of our energies in the world, our prayers, our hopes, our dreams. And so why would we not be in right relationship? to the subject matter of it. And so, um, but part of where the disconnect is, is the ways that, again, we talked about language, um, but but just the thinking of it, culturally, the thinking and how it lands in things, isn't really a cultural fit, um, to be perfectly honest. There are ways where some pieces work and some things we would never think of that. Um, you know, one of my friends um, who I was in uh, a fellowship with, uh, Jay Bad Heart Bull um, is uh, in the Lakota Nation. And he talked about how culturally the people who were the most wealthy or the chiefs, you gave everything away and that's how you knew you were, you know? And so if that's how we think about money if it, resource and access, like what I have, I'm known because I've shared it. I've given it away. Then this system culturally doesn't fit how I really consider and think about money. Right. Um, in this system with, mm-hmm. with, with black folks, we have a situation where, we believe that investment and this let's go to to our nfl and basketball players and so forth when you go and you look at nfl uh day. uh, uh, um, And they're saying, this is the people who we've drafted draft day. And they they come in and you see the the picture of the athlete and he's crying. I'm trying, I made it. I'm going to the league, you know, and then they pan over to the left and mama's crying and brother's crying and baby cousin is over in the corner. Like we made it because when one makes it, we all make it. So does the money understand that it isn't this sort of like, we, we have to have a system that understands that no, our investment is in this young person running up and down this field. And so I I took them to the games or I bought them the cleats or I I I did the the math tutoring or I was the, you know, I, I did this. Yeah. Um How do we calibrate for that level of friends and family investment? Mm. It's a cultural misfit, but that's a real investment Mm -hmm. in this in this real career. But that's a cultural misfit. So Mm -hmm. i like to talk about how culture really is shaping finance um, Mm -hmm. and talk about like just the design of things is just sort of like. Unrelatable and doesn't give, um, you know, an uh, honoring of how we move and see family and see relationship. Mm, I
2: love it. Yes. That's beautiful. I, yeah. Um, yeah, that just opened up my eye. My, yeah, I can, another hour of conversation. We
1: can do about, another hour. Another we,
2: hour on we, that.
1: We got other places we got to go too. <laughs> oh, no.
2: we, we go, oh, boy, we're going to have to have part two, Jessica. We're
1: going to have to do it. To I'm to telling you, two. we got to do it. Yeah,
2: because that's, um, I, I love that. And yeah. the culture, again, it goes back to what we value, you know? Yeah. We have this narrow sense of, right, of, 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 of value, and yet all this other input, all this other beautiful um, um, investment mm-hmm. has happened mm-hmm. that we just throw out. The, and if it's not this financial, you know, this dollar bill, right, it's not being valued, and culturally, we we expand, and we have so much more. So much. We have more.
1: so, much, so more. much more. We have so much more. I am. Um, I was at a, um, I was facilitating maybe last year, the year before last at transform finance, um, which is another great resource for folks who are wanting to dive in more on this subject. And, um, There was a woman there who um, heard me talk about my love of currencies and money and just different subject matter and reached in her bag and gave me this beautiful shell, which is white, purple colored and this wampum. And um, she has been a part of working um, in her tribe to bring back this currency and to talk about what happened um, with the loss of this currency? And one of the stories uh, that she shared, particularly, was when the Dutch, um, they're in uh, northern state, uh, uh, upper state New York, is where our tribe is. And when the Dutch came and settled in that area, they're trying to figure out, you know, well, how do we, you know, make meaning and, and trade and, you know, and what's your money and what you about? And noticed um, in conversation, you know, that that the tribes people, uh, I mean, the, the folks there had these purple belts and, you know, with the shells and all these things. And so, so they went and they started finding these shells and harvesting and they ended up making a whole business around making mm-hmm. fake shells even like, you know, but what the shells really symbolized was around, the purpleness was around the shed of blood and the stories that they told about when we were at war and when we actually healed and when we stopped. And so when they said what is valuable and they showed this shell, they weren't talking about this arbitrary value. They were talking about the lives that had been lost and what we had to do to get to peace. And that's why they wore them, to remind them of that. But the misinterpretation of what that really meant and kind of moving it into this really abstract, lacking of value. Oh, in building a whole shell company to make fake shells to stimulate—that to me always was this part where I was like, mm, "See, that's what I mean when I say the wrong cultural fit. Right. Like, who, right. why did you take it there? You know, right? right. That's the part that." we're 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 after, you know, when we say, okay, that's the bad actor, the bad acting in the right. thing, the cultural misfit, the where the lack of the value and um integration really isn't there. It was it was something that was exploit it was expedient and it was therefore exploitative in a right. way. It was like, I don't care to know the details of why this matters. I don't care to take the time to really understand the stories or the language properly to really get the 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 meaning behind this. I can just roll on and just do what I want to do. And um, you know, and that part. Yeah. That's the misassign. that's the misalignment that we're we're inside of over and over and over again that we've got to get right
2: yeah and keep showing yeah. up in so many different ways that it keeps
1: showing up yeah, yeah. It totally yeah. Does. and
2: it's, and it shows up as if it's the right way
1: right, yeah. right. right right And people will say, well that's just business that's you business. know that's what they'll say. We've that's heard right. this right when you when you that's steal right. or when you that's when business. you operate from a place of um, lack, lacking integrity and values, people right. say, but right. that's business. Right. And right. that's what we're up against. That is. You know what, what I mean? Against. That it's not the individual, it's the thinking of that. That is like, but is that right? Is is that the right way to really be with somebody? Like it's because it's so counter to what you're saying in your private time. When your private time, you're saying, My heart is deeply broken. I really care about Ooh. these things. But then Ooh. when it comes over here to that money, it's just business.
2: Right. And that be. gap right there, not that... putting those things together, yeah. is what the world that we live in and the financial world that we live in. And that's what's oh, yeah, wrong. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. And that's why we have all of the destruction and, and, and you know, the collateral damage
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. that just
2: takes place. And that collateral damage, is just a river. You know, it's just a river. It's, it's just yeah. a species that I yeah. never saw anyway. You know, it's just...
1: Or it's just the 200,000 people who've died of coronavirus. Hello. It's just. Hello. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Take a moment on that one.
1: Right?
2: Yeah. You know, I want to ask you, um, as the time is coming, and ask you one more question. Yeah. I'd like to know. I think the goal. I hope, in my mind, the goal <laughs> is to put you out of work. But we don't need you. We don't need you to come in and, and do all this heavy lifting to to um, work in these gaps because the gaps are filled.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm.
2: you could just go lie on the beach in Jamaica
0: mm-hmm. and enjoy okay.
2: life and not okay. think about because the gaps are filled. Yeah. It's all done imagining that world. Mm-hmm. What healing would mm-hmm. have to take place? to get there.
1: hmm What mm-hmm.
2: healing in your mind would have to take place? What would you require?
1: What would I personally require?
2: What would you require of the work that you're doing? mm mm-hmm. What has to happen for you to be able to put down
1: to not study war no more? Not study war no more, yeah, I've been saying that a lot lately. You know, I've been um sweet honey in the rock, yes, playing my music and we're not gonna study war no more. Because um, I think that's the thing for me is like to to not have to study this anymore. Um, that's the hardest part of all of it is in order for me to, to, to speak it back and to talk about it, I had to study it and to think about it. And it's a consuming level of violence and pain that's inside of those, those numbers and those points and a lot of holding things in my belly, in my womb, in my throat, in my heart, um, in my limbs to be able to speak it back out in a way that does not cause more harm. Um, in the, you know, it does not unlock all my rage and all of my, um, and that generational traumas and everything that's inside of my mother died wanting to understand more about money. And, and my aunt died because she worked and worked and worked and worked. And so many people, so many lives lost um, for needless things, for this pursuit of something that, you never really get there to it, and um, um, and I can't say I think there were moments and places of happiness, but I don't. But I, but I don't know. I, I do know what I talked about with my mother. She took her last breath, and it wasn't about money, is per se. Some of the conversation was who to pay, what bills to pay. So she, so she was, uh, you know, ended right relationship with people, and but a large part of it was about love, mm-hmm. and um. And the love that we need and the love we we miss out and we don't understand as important. Um, and so I take those things as really seriously. So for me, um, what would have to be true? Um, I think feeling and being in a place where um we have the skills and we're actively engaging every day in, um in these paths or these ideas of right relationship that we're like, that, that is um, that, that's a, you know, to borrow your language, the baseline and the top line that, that we um, we're sourcing ourselves and our energies from those places. And I want to, I, I really want to, you know, Dance in the delight of play and fun. I really want the pathways where um, we think of social entrepreneurs like myself, and I think you talked about this earlier about these entrepreneurs that have these brilliant ideas and things like that. Um, that we um, really give the entrepreneurs the money that they need, the, you know, social entrepreneurs the money that they need in the breathing room to test out an idea. If we're talking about, you know, closing wealth gaps and, and, you know, and all of these other big, important things, um, then how we treat the entrepreneur and the setup that, you know, that I have really would would matter. You know, I'd love to think about other equations and things, but I really want to route it from a new set of language and a new set of, um, terms where, um, I don't have to study the, the brokenness and the pain and the, 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 terminology and the framework of of what has been but that I get to lean more into what can be so um Mm. yeah so yeah I think that's what it would take for me to 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 be on that island you know just chilling out and and all the gaps are filled up it is that the spaciousness is there for me to lean into thinking of what could be and that there is um a community of of people who love and support the innovation of entrepreneurs that are thinking of these big things, you know, um, that understand the artistry, like we, you know, we understand other art, um, that understand, um, the, um, the need for those things to be created in the world. And and that's given space, you know? Yeah. I, I, I love that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it a lot. Yeah, I love that. I love what you
2: said. You know, you are such a fierce, loving warrior, Jessica Norwood. I um, learn so much from you all the time. And so many of us do. And um, you have really forged a, a new path for so many of us who are working in this place of trying to bring um, love and finance together. Yeah. And that's what you do. So I just want to thank you so much for who you are, the work you do, and I'm going to work really hard so that you can go and lay on that beach and, and, um, and know that all is well
1: thank but, you that it's all all as well yeah thank you, you. you thank you that. this is a beautiful beautiful experience uh and interview and I wish we you know we get to do more of these because we don't get a chance to like slow down and just talk like that so I feel so deeply grateful that we had this as our morning start and yeah, it's um, yeah. beautiful it's beautiful yeah. well you know we said part two so yeah so we'll have I to do it. this again okay yeah. i mean I it, to it too yeah we'll do it,
0: again.
2: We'll do it <laughs> totally again. totally all right well i just want to um say that the resource that i want to um leave folks who are listening with is um the website of the runwayproject.org and it's that it is the runwayproject.org with the word the the runwayproject.org is the place to go to um, to be a part of this work to support this work and to um, to really see the beauty of what's being being done um, in this way of deep and right relationship in finance and I want to yeah. thank you for everything Jessica that you do thank, thank you for listening can't. absolutely and thank mm-hmm. everybody for listening and again, wrapping up um, this session, this episode of the Brown Rice Hour. And thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye bye.